Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day, this time, this time together. And Lord, that song is indeed the prayer of our heart, that our legacy would be one that loves you and shows others how to love you and teaches and disciples those in loving you. Father, that's, that's our goal as a church, as a people, and individually. To leave a legacy behind of those that love you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Bless us as we spend some time around your word now. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Brian Herzog. For those of you that, that may not know, I'm one of the elders here. And we get the privilege of uh, sharing from God's Word every once in a while. And, and today is my day we get to do that. And uh, on those days when, when uh, most of us uh, share when Jay or Brian are not available, uh, typically it's a, it's a topical thing. We teach uh, expositorily through the Word, and uh, typically that is staying in one book at a time and letting God's Word tell us where we are on each day. But uh, we get to every once in a while do a topical message. And so that is uh, what we're doing today. And I want to start this with a question for you. What's down in the well? That's why the picture of the well. You probably figured that out already because you're all sharp, right? What's down in the well? And I want to want to start by telling a story. Uh, my dad was a sweet, godly man. And even though he never made it past the fifth grade in school, that was a common thing back then, depending on how big your family was and financial need. Kids would often... Uh, quit school relatively early in order to make money to help the household survive. And so that was the case for my dad. He worked from, from a young age, but he never made it past fifth grade. And, but despite that, he was a very wise and intelligent man. He was a voracious reader. He loved knowledge. He loved learning things. And he read pretty much everything he could get his hands on. And he taught himself so many things. He was good at a lot of things. He eventually became very adept at precision work and became a tool and die man and opened a tool and die shop with several employees, uh, ran in the Chesterfield, St. Louis area, uh, and made small parts for uh, aircraft companies and manufacturers in downtown St. Louis. So he was a pretty sharp fellow. He was also, because uh, tool, and guy, tool and die guys are usually good at math, he was really good at math as well. And he could do complicated stuff in his head very quickly. I remember one time when I was a boy, um, I don't know why I did this, but I challenged him to a math competition. I mean, I'm horrible at math. I don't know why. But here's, here was my ace uh, up my sleeve. I had a calculator, and he was going to do the math in his head. So that I thought, I got him now, right? So my mom, trying to be uh, diplomatic, she was just going to call out a random string of two, three, and four-digit numbers to add up, right? And so nobody knew what she was going to say, and so she started uh, randomly uh, calling out these numbers. And my dad had the answer before I could get all the numbers punched into the calculator. And he was right. I just threw down the calculator and walked away. I, there, was, there was nothing to be done. He was a pretty sharp fellow. 
Well, he became a believer uh, shortly after my older sister was born. Uh, this math competition happened after he was a believer. But, but before I knew him, <laughs> uh, he became a believer uh, shortly after my sister was born. And he turned that voracious reading habit of his into reading God's Word. Uh, partly because of the influence of my mom's parents in his life. And uh, they led him to the Lord. And uh, he read God's Word constantly and consequently because of that he knew God's word well and he quoted it often in our house growing up as it applied to everyday life which was pretty much every day so I heard a lot of scripture uh, when I was growing up but he also collected pithy sayings uh, and I'm pretty sure most of them were not original to him there may have been a few I don't know but uh they weren't original to him, but he had a habit of collecting them and using them on us kids uh, from time to time. And he had quite a collection. They were some good ones. One of, the, one of my favorites was cute as a speckled pup under a red wagon. And uh, so if you can picture that in your mind, I don't have a picture like that. I probably should have. Cute as a speckled pup under a red wagon. Uh, if you can imagine that, that would be pretty cute, right? That little speckled pup under that red wagon, that would be cute. Another one of his uh, pithy sayings that I heard a lot as a boy, and to be honest, it wasn't a favorite of mine at the time. I didn't really appreciate it. In fact, I kind of like, I knew when it was coming, and I didn't like to hear it, but I appreciate it now. And it was this one. It's a little bit more cryptic, but I knew exactly what he meant. He said, that's no hill for a stepper. And I'd get some blank looks, but here's what he meant. Don't be lazy. If you've got a job to do, do it. If you've got a hill in front of you, be a stepper. Do the work. Consider that hill that you've got to climb to be no hill for a stepper. So, like I said, I didn't appreciate that as a boy, but I do now. Another one, though, that uh, this stuck with me the most, more than any of the sayings that my dad would say, and it still, to this day, makes me stop and think. And it's this one. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And some of you may already know what this one is about. But he was saying that even though there's a well, we can't automatically assume it's full of fresh water. Even though that's what's supposed to be in there, that may not be the case because, you know, a well is designed to hold water for washing or drinking or cooking. And it either collects water from an underground spring. That's the most common type of well. Or sometimes uh, our farm, when I was young, we had a cistern that drained uh, rainwater. We would go out and open the uh, gate that let it go into the cistern after the rain had washed uh, all the debris off the roof to collect uh, rainwater. So... The, the problem is, what if something else makes its way into that well? If, uh, you know, like a dead animal or something falls into the well or, or whatever, then that well is contaminated and it's no longer useful for washing or drinking or, or cooking. And so what follows then, the logic says, what's down in that well is what is going to come up in the bucket. So if the well is full of fresh water, that fresh water will come up in the well. If the well is filled with, let's say, soft-serve ice cream, wouldn't you like to have a well like that in your backyard? Probably wouldn't be good for me, but that would be awesome, right? So if a well has soft-serve ice cream in it, 
that's what's going to come up in the bucket. Conversely, if a well was filled with, say, sewer water, then sewer water would come up in the bucket. I don't think anybody wants one of those in their backyard, right? Probably not. I know those are silly examples, but I think everyone understands the principle. Well, as it turns out, God's Word actually has some things to say related to this, and I think it's important for us to take a look at it today as, as believers individually, each one of us, but also as the church in America, as those who uh, collectively are part of the church in America. I think it's important for us to look at that. So I'm going to give you another phrase that you may or may not have heard, and it's this one. God cares more about who you be than what you do. I know that's bad grammar. I, I know that's not uh, correct grammar, but it's a thing. God cares more about who you be than what you do. And what we mean by that is this, that He cares more about who we are than what we do. God cares more about what's in our hearts than what people see on the outside. I think you remember the story of David as a boy when he was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. And that uh, story happens in 1 Samuel 16. And I, I love that part of the story where Samuel had gone to Jesse's house and had assembled all Jesse's sons because God had told Samuel that one of the kings is going to be one of Jesse's, the king is going to be one of Jesse's sons. And so he was, they were lined up and Samuel was kind of giving them the eval, kind of looking them over. And uh, the Lord gave some wise advice to Samuel. I love this. It's found in 16.7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I love that. And of course, it's not that God doesn't care about how we behave. That's not it at all. His Word has much to say about that. But rather, God knows that there's a principle at work in our hearts and lives, part of His design for us. That principle that is work in our hearts and lives, it goes so much deeper than just our outward behavior. That becomes a part of it, but it's so much deeper than that. You know, it, it seems like there's no shortage of rules these days. It seems like the list of rules grows every day. Rules about where we go and when we go. Rules about what we wear when we get there. Rules about what we say, what we don't say. Some even want to impose rules about how we think. But, you know, that's not new. It, it may feel like it's new, but it's not. It's been around for, for a long time. All throughout history, Man has sought to govern themselves through rules, regulations, and laws. In fact, the Hebrews came up with over 600 laws to govern themselves, all from the original Ten Commandments that, that God gave Moses. Now, we know, according to God's Word, that the intent of God's law, the purpose of God's law, was for us to see that we are not capable of following the law. Look at what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus, in fact, came to fulfill the law as he himself stated in Matthew 5.17. So it's, it's about us learning that we're not being capable of measuring up 
to God's standard of perfection. But Christ made a way. And that's the essence of the gospel for us, that Christ made a way. We've said many times from this pulpit, and several of us have have mentioned this several times, what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And it is simply this. I'm supposed to die for my sin, but Christ died for my sin and was buried according to the Scriptures and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's it. That's the good news. Add nothing, take away nothing. That's the good news that we get to share, that we get to give to those that we see, those that we work with, our friends, our neighbors, our family. But we're not saying that laws and rules are bad. That's not what we're saying either. They're very necessary in society today. But what we are saying is this. There is a better way. And it's actually the best way because it's God's design. And here is God's design in a nutshell. God's design is not for our behavior to drive who we are, but for who we are to drive our behavior. That's important. Let's look at that again. God's design is not for our behavior to drive who we are, but for who we are to drive our behavior. So many of us get that wrong, and we struggle, and we struggle, and we struggle because we have it backwards. We think that somehow if we can control our behavior, if we can make new habits, that's why New Year's resolutions are always such a hard thing, and we usually fail about January 4th or 5th. Some people go longer because it's not about the behavior. It's about who we are on the inside, and that is the key. That's God's design about who we are. Now, before you think you're stuck with who you are as a person, um, there are some changes we can make, and we're going to see that in God's Scripture today. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was going about His ministry in the towns of Galilee, around Galilee, and he was teaching his disciples and the folks that were following him. And as he went along, he attracted the attention of the Pharisees, who were those rules guys. They were all about the rules. Very legalistic. Uh, They loved to uh, be the ones that knew all about God's Word and all about the Jewish law, and they would tell anyone and everyone about that. They were very, very legalistic. So, of course, Jesus and his ministry Uh, captured their attention. He attracted their attention. And so as Jesus went along in his ministry, he happened to be a part of some things that were against Jewish law at the time. For instance, in this passage in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at one of the things that happened to his uh, one Sabbath day, his disciples picked grain to eat because they were hungry on that Sabbath day, which according to Jewish law was considered work and thereby not allowed. Jesus also healed on the Sabbath, which was also considered work and a no-no-no. And so this was the last straw, uh, according to the Pharisees, as far as they were concerned. This was the last straw. And from that moment on, it says in Matthew 12, they plotted how they could kill Jesus. Jesus also healed a demon-possessed man who was also mute and blind, And the Pharisees again complained, this time to themselves under their own breath, uh, uh, privately. But Jesus, of course, knew their thoughts. And he knew what they were talking about. And he explained that Beelzebub could not drive out Beelzebub. The Pharisees had said, ah, it's just Beelzebub doing tricks. But he shot them straight about who was who. 
And as he responded to them, he included these words. And they're important for us to see this morning. Matthew 12, 33 through 25. It says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. This principle, this is it that tells us that what our hearts are full of is what comes out of our mouth and in our behavior. It's almost exactly like what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, isn't it? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Also in James chapter 3, you remember this from our study of James here a while back, James is teaching about taming the tongue and how difficult that is to do. And he has this to say in verses 9 through 12, with the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Jesus has just said in Matthew 12 that a tree is known by its fruit, so a spring is known by what it's produced, what is produced from it. A salt water spring cannot produce fresh water. In other words, again, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And of course, we're saying here that the well that we're talking about is our heart and mind. And the bucket represents our behavior and the things we say and do. An important difference for us to make right now, though, is the difference between uh, the well of our hearts and the natural well is this. Unlike a natural well, which collects whatever happens to flow into it or, or be put into it, we get to choose what goes into our well. We get to choose what goes into our well. We can filter out what we don't want in our well and intentionally choose those things we want to put into it. We actually have a choice. So who we are depends on what we choose to pour into our heart and life. If we choose to fill our hearts and minds with angry news and social media posts, with violence, with impure images, with hate, that's who we will eventually become. Thankfully, if we choose to fill our hearts with God's Word, with time with Him in prayer, with fellowship with other believers who lift us up and encourage us, and with love, that is also who we will become. Now, don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying that our salvation is connected to our behavior. That's not what we're saying. Our salvation is only dependent on the finished work of Christ on the cross, as we stated earlier. Christ died for my sin. And our belief and trust in that 
that's what our salvation is dependent on. But what we are talking about is the relationship between what we immerse ourselves in and what kind of person we become. That's what we're talking about today. And we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about becoming sinless. We're not talking about any, uh, anything that would, would change the way God made us. In fact, it enhances the way God made us. It's not perfection or sinlessness, but it's becoming more and more like Jesus every day. I love what Paul says to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, 16 through 25. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the, of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Notice how Paul uses the phrase, fruit of the Spirit, this is what naturally grows and is produced from walking and living by the Spirit, just as a healthy fruit tree produces what it's intended to produce. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. There's an old Native American proverb, and I think you've heard it. I think I remember hearing it from this pulpit once uh, a while ago. But it's a story of uh, an old Cherokee man that was teaching his grandson about life. It's it's the story of the two wolves, and the story goes like this. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He's anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority. Lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. Which wolf will win, the boy asked. The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Sounds easy, right? But it's the same principle. And it's not that easy because the enemy strives against us, doesn't he? The enemy constantly bombards our minds with the things of this world, with life and its circumstances, 
And he would love for us to take in any thought that he throws our way. And he would like us to believe all those lies that he pops into our head and puts in our way. Of course, when we accept those lies and let them find root in our hearts, it's only a matter of time before they overflow from our hearts and show up in our behavior and what we say and do. So then, we have a choice to make. It's wise to exercise the life-affirming choice of being filled with God's Word. Have you ever seen this phrase or heard this phrase or been given this advice? Don't go to the grocery store hungry. Anybody heard that one? Why do we say that? Anybody? Because if you're hungry when you go to the grocery store, you're liable to buy $10,000 worth of groceries. More than you need or want for sure. Everything looks good when you're hungry, right? Ooh, I want some of that. Ooh, look at that. So here's what we're talking about here. Uh, If we are full of God's Word, it's less likely that we'll fall for the enemy's lies. If we can maintain a steady diet of being full of God's Word and our time with Him and praying with Him and fellowship with Him, we're less likely to fall for the enemy's lies. If we're full of God's words, there's simply no room for the enemy's lies to make their way into our hearts. And along with this, it's also important to know that this filling our well with God's word and fellowship with him is not a one and done. It's not a one-time fix. It's got to happen daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes for me by the minute. Depends on what's going on in my life as we recognize those, those lies that come from the enemy, we need to combat them with God's Word and being filled with God's Word. So to illustrate the not a one-and-done thing, I love the instruction that King Solomon gives in Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 23. It says this, My son, pay attention to my words. Let's pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So a guard doesn't look at the gate one time to make sure nobody's coming and then walk away, right? A guard stays on duty till his post is finished. When we guard our hearts, it's not a one and done. It needs to be daily. It needs to be constantly. Guard our hearts. And I love this last phrase, for everything you do flows from it. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. My dad apparently knew what he was talking about, didn't he? Guard your heart. As I said, my dad quoted Scripture a lot in our household when I was growing up. Another one that I heard very often from him is found in Philippians chapter 4. Here, uh, the Apostle Paul is closing the letter, uh, his letter to the church at Philippi, and he was leaving them with several encouraging remarks. And uh, by the way, whenever I read this passage, I hear it in my dad's voice. That's how often I heard it uh, when I was growing up. Um, he really had a grasp on this concept that God has designed us 
for. And uh, I love this passage in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I remember hearing that so many times when I was tempted to do something that was kind of iffy or go someplace I probably shouldn't. God, my, God would lead my dad to quote this passage to me. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. He did it in the old King James. That's how I remember it. Think on these things. Those are the things we think about. So, can we please stop filling our minds with hate and anger that we see around us in the world today. That's the low-hanging fruit. We don't, we don't want to swallow that. We don't want to go for that. Let's stop filling our hearts and minds with hate and anger that we see on the social media and in the news and all those things with impure thoughts and images, with the tarnished and broken things that this world has to offer. Let's not fill our hearts and minds with that. Can we agree for that? Instead, let's spend our time filling our hearts and minds with those true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy things. Fill our hearts and minds with God's Word. Let's become the type of believers that are trusted because they are known to be trustworthy, who are loved because they are known to be loving who are given grace because they are known to be gracious, who are listened to because they are known to speak truth. Let's fill our hearts and minds with God's Word and His love because, as my dad would say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that is so true and so powerful in our hearts and lives. And Lord, Help us to wrap our hearts and minds around this principle that you have created in us that who we are depends on what we fill our hearts and lives and minds with. Lord, we want to fill our hearts and minds with those things that are pure and lovely and of good report. We want to fill our hearts and minds with your word, with fellowship with you, with fellowship with other believers who lift us up and encourage us. Father, we want to be more like you. We want to be known as believers that love you and are loved because we are loving. Father, thank you for our time together. We give this day to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing with us this morning at Potter's House. And uh, I'll do our little traditional thing that we do. Each time after we've uh, gone over the play and we're ready to run it. Ready? Ready. All right. Thank you, Potter's House.